0: Today with Clare Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years, cashandcarrykitchens.ie email todaycb at rte.ie. Well it's hard to believe that tomorrow marks two years since the world woke up to those news reports. A day that changed the geopolitical landscape utterly and as the war in Ukraine now enters its third year, Russia is making important battlefield gains and Ukraine is facing a crisis in its top military ranks and it continues to struggle to get ammunition from the West. So what is next and how much longer will that war continue? Roland Oliphant, is senior foreign correspondent correspondent with The Telegraph, and he joins me on the line now. Good morning, Roland. Good morning, Claire. Thank you for joining us. It really doesn't feel like that long ago since the war began, but so much has happened in that time. Can you tell us how things are looking right now?
1: I mean, in a word, pretty bleak, um, to be honest. I mean, as you say, you know, it's, it's been two years. At the beginning, there weren't that many people who expected things to last this long um uh so i don't think in in russia i don't think in the west um there were some people in ukraine who were kind of you know had a pretty a pretty sober view of things but um look you know until until kind of the middle of last summer um there was this sense that the ukrainians um could break the back of the russian army and victory was in sight and a lot of hope was riding on this uh this counteroffensive um uh, that took place last summer that to it bluntly that failed mm-hmm. um And uh, the result is that today the Russians have the initiative all along the 600-mile front line. Um, Not only do the Russians have the initiative, um, they have uh, dominance in in firepower, dominance in manpower. And Western resolve, um, all of these promises that were made at the beginning by the United States, by European countries, by Britain, um, is really, really cracking. Um, So the the Americans are holding up... um, They've got this debate in Congress, which is holding up the next tranche of uh, arms supplies for Ukraine. The result is that, you know, my colleague Colin Freeman has been um, reporting from Donbass now. He's been talking to soldiers to say, look, um, we have so few shells. We can see the Russians. I've got them in my sights. I can't fire at them. And we're reduced to choosing which village we're going to give up next. So it's it's kind of back to the walls time. Um, there's no clear kind of, I mean, there, there is a path. You can imagine a path to a Ukrainian victory or, or a peace that favors Ukraine but it's a lot longer than than people thought and on the other side um the Kremlin the Russians are clearly feeling the wind at their backs at mm-hmm. the moment and they're beginning to feel they can end with a victory
0: how much of that is down to the fact that the war in Gaza has taken the spotlight away from events in Ukraine
1: I mean I think it doesn't help I think it certainly didn't help from you know the point of view of keeping uh, the attention of western politicians western leaders western governments um focused on that but but this is a these are systemic issues which i think go well beyond um you know gaza and what happened there yes that erupted that that has taken a lot of the the kind of public attention in the west away um and you you have this strain on on military supplies in a sense but really these are questions of it's about political resolve in the west it's about um polarization um in the United States. And it's also about a very basic decision that that, that had to be made very early on, which was that, um, OK, there is a war on a scale in Europe we haven't seen since 1945. Right? Western governments are not used to fighting wars on this scale. Um, the Russians decided, OK, they realized they weren't going to win quickly. They began scaling up their economy and they are ready to fight. They are planning to fight for several more years. The West hasn't done that. right? We haven't um, built new production lines. We haven't built new um, factories for tanks, for shells, for things like that. Um, and this is what we're beginning to see on the. Ba- the results of that is what we're beginning to see on the mm. battlefield at the moment.
0: Like, what, what is the Russian timeline on this? What do they believe they can achieve and when?
1: Well, um, we think that. I mean, so the, so the Russians publicly um, they put forward so many different kind of justifications and goals for this war since it started. Um I, I do get the it's difficult to pin them down. And it, it, you get the impression that actually maybe they had like several competing ideas in their head and they weren't sure which grand plan they were going with for a while. But I think now we can see the outline of a plan um, that's a bit more sober and a bit more sustained. And I think it looks like this. Um, you keep fighting until the American election in November. If Donald Trump wins that election, then you pretty much know that American aid to Ukraine is going to dry up. Right? The Ukrainians are going to be out of shells. They're going to be very short of men, and that means you can push and push and push through 2025. You can be pretty sure the Russian army will make big gains, and eventually that is going to um, force President Zelensky to make peace on Russian terms. And um, they think, I mean, the, the Royal United Services Institute, um, a, a British think tank close to you know the British Armed Forces and and security services, um, they said. They believe that the, the Russian timeline, that is victory by 2026. So the Russians think they can finish this in two years.
0: And what does that mean for the West?
1: Well, the West's got a choice to make, really. And that that, that Russian battle plan is credible, to be absolutely honest. And it's credible if, you know, that the link between the West and, and Ukraine is broken, if arm supplies dry up, if the Americans um, stop coming to the party and if the Euro- Europeans are unable to... To fill that gap, that's that's basically what it comes down to. Um, so d- decisions have to be made um, in European capitals, and you can see these kinds of discussions um, in you know the, there's the Munich Security Conference this week. We've had um, we've had announcements from from Denmark and Sweden recently. And Denmark said, that, okay, we're just going to give all our shells to Ukraine, that kind of thing. The Czechs are trying to galvanise an effort to just buy shells anywhere they can be found on the international market. This kind of thing. Um, if the West mobilises its own kind of economy and, and gets its act together on the scale of effort that's needed for this, that Russian plan can be thwarted, um, and you know the Ukrainians could go on a defensive for the next year. Um, but even then, you're looking at you know after the Ukrainians have been on the defensive, you're looking at 2025, 2026 for them to regain the initiative and seek for those new opportunities um, to force the Russians to peace on terms acceptable to Ukraine and the West. So I'm afraid we're in this for a long time.
0: Well, uh, as you began by saying, uh, Roland, it is a bleak outlook on the two-year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Thank you so much for your time. That's Roland Oliphant, Senior Foreign Correspondent with The Telegraph. Back after this. Text 51551 Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.